Well, it's hard to believe that uh, we have been studying the book of James now for 10 weeks. And today, we bring our study to a close. And we have looked at this letter through the lens of obstacles, um, wanting the, the exhortation being to stand firm in our faith. And then we've looked at the obstacles that would trip us up, that would hinder us from standing firm. And so today, in our last lesson, we look at the last two obstacles that James addresses, and that's the obstacles of impatience and prayerlessness. And if we're going to overcome those two obstacles, and if we're going to stand firm in our faith, there are two things that have to be part of our lives, and that's patience and prayer. And his exhortation really to us in this section is be patient and be prayerful. Or another way to put it is wait on God and talk to God. How are you doing in these two areas? Do you ever struggle with patience? I do. Um, Do you struggle with waiting on God to do something? Maybe you're today struggling with patience. You want God to do something now and he's not. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm tired of the season that we're living in with COVID and all the just disunity and, and the division and uncertainty about the future and can't even find um, cat food on the shelves at Kroger. And so I'm just like, Lord, I am so ready for life to go back to normal. I'm just ready for things to change. Oh, they'll eat chicken breast. Good. That's good to know. But, you know, I want it to be over. We're in a season in our church that we are waiting for pastor next, for a new senior pastor. And there are times I'm like, oh, Lord, I just wish we could go ahead and just find that man and get going. But every time I say those things of God, why can't it just be over? And why can't we just move there? He always reminds me to be patient. Wait. Because he's working. Do you find it hard to pray at times? Uh, Especially when you don't see God working the way you want him to work or as quickly as you want him to work. Do you have trouble praying? Maybe you've given up on prayer wondering, well, God, what good does it do me to pray because you're not answering, you're not doing anything, so I'm wasting my time praying. You know, prayer and patience go together. Because when we lose patience, a lot of times we stop praying. Well, if you answered yes to either of these questions, then James has a message just for you in this passage today. And so if you don't have your Bibles open, go ahead and turn turn in your Bibles to James 5. As we look at these two obstacles of impatience and prayerlessness and how to overcome them. And so my outline is very simple. We're just going to outline this by the two obstacles. And I really should have made this two separate lessons because this lesson is packed. But um, we'll start first with the obstacle of impatience. We read that in James 5, 7 to 12. And he begins in verses 7 to 8. 
And he challenges them and he says, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. And then he talks about the farmer and then he comes back and he says, You too, just like the farmer, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. You know, this passage is related to what he has just talked about in the previous verses that we talked about last week, about the rich and, and how he was trying to encourage them because the rich were mistreating them. And so he's, he's saying, therefore, be patient. And remember, whenever you see the word therefore, you always want to ask, what is that word therefore? Well, in light of what's just happened, what he's just talked about with the rich, he's saying, be patient. These believers were probably discouraged. Uh, they, some may have been ready to quit their faith and go back to their Judaism and their Jewish roots saying, listen, I'm done. This is way too hard. I'll just go back. If I, maybe if I just forget about Christianity, I won't be going through this suffering. And so he's trying to encourage them and he's saying, don't give up. Be patient. And so then how do we, it's easy to say be patient, how do we overcome this obstacle of, of impatience? Well, by being patient, by waiting on God. It's very simple. There's nothing hard about this. If I'm going to overcome that obstacle, I've got to be patient. And so in these two verses, in verses 7 and 8, he repeats that, those words patient or be patient three times because that's what he's emphasizing be patient. Be patient. We have to work, wait on God to work in his way, in his timing, knowing and trusting that he is in control, that he, he's working things out. So I want to take just a few minutes and look closer at this passage, these verses. First, the meaning. What is the meaning of be patient? What exactly does that look like? Well, I wrote this in your, your Bible study book, so I've already told you this. I just want to review that the actual word that's used here in the Greek means to have a long fuse, meaning that you're not going to just, boom, respond as soon as something happens, and you're just going to immediately, spontaneously blow up or jump into action that you have a long fuse, that you let it kind of, you, you think about it. You restrain yourself from just jumping out immediately. Have a long fuse. Don't just explode when something isn't going the way you want. And then a second thing to address is just the timetable. How long are we to wait? How long are we to be patient? Well, he says in verse 7, until the coming of the Lord. In other words, there is no ending time on this earth. We are patient every day. We need to be patient until we see God work or until he takes us home or returns. There is no deadline that we give God you know, and he gives the example of the farmer. And we know, I mean, the farmer knows that when he plants his seed, he's not going to wake up the next morning and see his crop. 
He knows it's going to take time. It's a process. And you cannot rush the process. And he knows that the wait is worth it. That's how we should be. Waiting on God, knowing that the end result. And sometimes we say, okay, God, I'll give you six months to do this. I'll give you a year. But after that, if I hadn't seen you work, I'm taking things into my own hands. And I'll be honest, I have done that. And every time I've done that, I have regretted it because I made a mess of things. And if I had just waited, I would have seen God work things out even better. So we don't want to give him a timeline. We wait, we're patient until the coming of the Lord. And then a third area, just the right perspective. You know, what is the right perspective as we're waiting? Because if we're going to be patient, we've got to have the right perspective to, to wait on God. And the right perspective in verse 8, he says, You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. What is the right perspective? Our suffering and our trials are temporary. The Lord's coming back. And I know he said the coming is near, and that was back in the first century. The thing we have to remember is that this that we're going through that's hard is only a blip on the timeline of eternity. They're not going to last forever. There will be an end point. And if not on this earth, when he comes back. And that's the perspective that we need to keep focus on his return, that he's coming back and focus on the truth that this is not going to last forever, whatever it is that we're having trouble waiting on God or suffering. And then he gives the examples in verses 10 and 11. He's already talked about the farmer, and then he talks about the prophets who spoke. They told about the coming justice of God, but they had to wait. And they had to suffer in the waiting because their, his, their audience didn't particularly like what they were saying. They endured. They waited on God. And then Job, we all know the story of Job. He did nothing. on He did not bring about his suffering by something that he did. It was part of God's purpose to work. And Job waited. Now, he wasn't perfect. He got, you know, he said, God, why did you even let me be born if you were going to do this to me? I mean, he was, the thing I love about him is that he was honest and he lamented. But he hung in there and he was patient with God. And we know how that ended. He, he said, I thought I knew, but I, I see you now. I really know you now. And God increased his blessing. He waited. You know, life is challenging today. It's like I said earlier. I mean, we're still dealing with COVID. We're still in the midst of hatred and disagreement, disunity, uh, costs of livings going up, gasoline, everything. And if you're like me, again, I'm ready for a change. And it's easy to get impatient. But God knows what he's doing, and we just have to wait on him. We've got to keep perspective. This is only a small piece of eternity that we're in. It's only temporary. So we have to keep the right perspective if we're going to be patient. 
And then the next thing he talks about is the symptoms of impatience. And he talks about two, he points out two in verses 9 and 12. And the first symptom is complaining against one another in verse 9. When he says, do not complain, brethren, against one another so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. You know, James just talked about that in chapter 4, what we looked at last week, when he said, don't speak against one another. And he's saying here, don't complain against one another. Don't speak against one another. Because when we're impatient and we're in a difficult situation, our tendency is to blame somebody for our, our struggle. And we lash out and we say things about somebody or to somebody because we're impatient, because we're angry. And again, it goes back to that have a long fuse. We criticize people. But instead, we should wait on the Lord. Because he's standing right at the door. And, and one commentator said that means he hears everything everything we say. And then the second characteristic or symptom of impatient is not being true to your word in verse 12. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. And in this context, he's not talking about cursing or saying four-letter words, uh, he's referring to taking oaths. And back in that time, in the Jewish system, they didn't have written contracts like we do today. They did everything verbally. And they would swear by God's name. I promise I will do this by God's name. And what he's telling them is that, you know, you don't need to even take that oath and swear by God's name. Let your testimony, let your life be that when you say, I'm going to do this, they know that you're going to be true to your word. But when life isn't going so well, and we're suffering, or we're being mistreated, a lot of times we will say something, but we don't follow through. We're just, we're not keeping our word. And that's just a symptom of impatience, because we're just not trusting so the first obstacle that we need to overcome in this passage is the obstacle of impatience. This obstacle will keep us from standing firm because impatience hinders us from trusting God. When I'm not, in, when I'm not patient, I'm not trusting God, that he's in control or that he knows what he's doing or that he's working. It hinders us from trusting him and waiting on him to work in his way. And we often step out in our own strength and do it our way. Waiting is not easy. I'll be the first to say, I do not like waiting. But God is working in every moment of the waiting to bring about his perfect plan and accomplish his purpose. Uh, I don't like waiting for jobs. When I was looking for a job, I didn't like waiting. 
I don't like waiting for diagnoses after a test has been done. But God is at work in the waiting. Never think that the waiting is wasted. And patience, showing patience, is demonstration. It's a demonstration of dependence on God. When we're patient, we're showing, hey, God, I need you, and I am trusting you. So how are you doing in this area of patience? Is there something today that you're really having trouble being patient about? Take it to the Lord and say, God, I need your help with this. I want to be patient. Help me. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Ask His Spirit to work in you, to give you that patience. So then we come to the last obstacle in this letter, the obstacle of prayerlessness. Verses 13 to 18. And prayer is vital to our standing firm in the faith. But when we're in the middle of trials, we often lose patience and we stop praying. It's like I said earlier, we just say, you know what, God, you're not doing anything. What good does it do? I'm done. But if we're going to stand firm in our faith, we have to be committed to prayer. And James calls for prayer in three situations in verses 13 to 14. First, in suffering, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Now, in this context, in James, he was again addressing the suffering of the the people under the hands of the rich that he just talked about in the previous verses. In this context... But in the broader application, it's any form of suffering, any hardship. When we are going through a hard place, pray. Turn to God. Don't try to do it on your own. Second time situation to pray is in good times. Is anyone cheerful? Then he's to sing praises. Is life going great for you? Are your kids being wonderful? Is your husband got the perfect job? Is your... Life just going great. You've got that house. You've got all the food you need. I mean, is is life good? Great. But don't forget God. Don't say, God, hey, things are good. I got this now. You know what? I know where to find you. I don't need you right now, but I know where to find you when I need you. So just hang tight. Don't do that. Pray, sing praises, thank him for all he's done. Never quit. You know, I've shared with you before, I keep a thank you journal. Thanks to some women in here who gave me a thank you journal several years ago. And I continue every day, I write at least one thing. That's the first thing I write in my journal. God, thank you for this. And it may be something he's done. It may be something that I've seen. Or it may be just looking outside The other day, it was just, God, thank you for that beautiful orange tree outside my house. Just every day, make it a habit to start your morning. God, thank you for this, and praise him. Third area, or third situation to pray in is sickness, and we're going to spend some time on these verses here. In verses 14 to 15, I'm going to read them, and then we're going to kind of just go deeper with these verses. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, 
anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Now these verses uh, have been taken out of context. They've been used in all kinds of ways. There are different views on the interpretation of these verses. And I wrote in your study, I, I don't like to give you a lot of commentary in the studies, but I felt like I needed to give you some in this study. So I've, I've written about a lot of this. I just want to review it in our time together. What exactly is he saying here? What does he mean? So let's tear this apart. First, what does he mean by sick? Is anyone among you sick? Well, for years, I read this passage, and I just assumed he was talking about, do you have a cold? Do you have pneumonia? Do you have cancer? Then you need to call on the elders to pray for you. And it doesn't mean that we can't do that, but that is not what he was referring to here. So some people say this was a physical sickness. But again, uh, that's not the view I take, and I'll explain why. The second view which is what I take, is that he is referring to spiritual sickness, not physical sickness. Because the Greek word that is used in this passage for the word sick, it's literally, it, it literally means to be weak. And yes, it's used occasionally in the Gospels, meaning physical sickness, but, but it's mostly used like in the Acts, and in all the epistles, when you see that word, in the Greek, it's referring to a weak faith or a weak conscience. So he was referring to those who had grown weary spiritually and morally in the midst of suffering. They were having trouble spiritually. And so when we're in that place that we're struggling with our spiritual walk, we need to go to the body of Christ and ask for prayer. Don't do it alone. Don't hide it. Go to somebody and say, I need you to pray for me because I'm really struggling spiritually. So sick doesn't mean here physical. He's talking about spiritual sickness. A second thing to address is what's the significance of anointing with oil? Well, again, there's several views. One view is some say it was like medicine. It was used like medicine. They put the ointment on to heal the person. That's one view. The view I take here is that it was symbolic. That applying the oil to the skin of the person was symbolic of that person being refreshed, encouraged, and strengthened by the Lord. It was just symbolic that God was the one who would strengthen them and refresh them. The thing that to, to focus on here, the focus in this verse is not on the, uh, the anointing with oil. The focus is on prayer. It's the prayer that heals, not putting oil on the person. But it doesn't mean we can't. I know in India, uh, a lot of times as we prayed with the women, they would ask us to anoint them with oil. Well, we would. Just, but it was symbolic in our mind that this is just symbolic of God strengthening you for the work he's given you. Third thing to address here is, <laughs> what is the prayer offered in faith? In verse 15. 
when he says in the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he's committed sins they will be forgiven him um, how many of you have heard somebody say or maybe you've even said yourself if I just have enough faith God will heal me or God will heal you I've heard that it's about your faith. Well, God didn't heal you, so you obviously didn't have enough faith that he would. That is not what he is saying here when he's talking about the prayer offered in faith that God will raise them up. Because the problem with that interpretation of this, that you just got to have enough faith, God will answer your prayer. The problem with that is that there have been many people who have prayed with great faith for healing and God has said no. I've got friends, even recently, one prayed with all the faith in the world that God would deliver her from ovarian cancer. Took her home. Had another friend who had ovarian cancer, the same cancer. Prayed with great faith. God delivered her. It's not how much faith. That's not it because God doesn't always answer the way we want him to. Think about Paul. He had great faith, I'm sure, when he prayed and asked God to remove that thorn three times. God didn't remove it because God had a bigger purpose for what he wanted to show Paul. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, three times asked, would you take the cup from me? Would you remove the cross from me? And three times, the answer was no. Do you not think that Paul had enough faith or that Jesus had enough faith? To, Jesus knew his father could do it. But God had a bigger purpose. You know, think about Mary and Martha uh, praying for Lazarus, that Jesus heal our brother. And Jesus didn't, not in the way they wanted. Why? Because he had a bigger purpose. So that verse, no. It's not about how much faith. So then what is the prayer offered in faith? What does he mean here? It is a prayer of faith in God. It is the prayer of saying, God, I believe in you. I have faith that you can do anything. But I have faith that you will do your will. And that's what I want. It's the prayer of faith in God to work according to his will. When he says that this prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up, he's referring to spiritual restoration there. Again, we're talking about, he's in, according to the Greek words used here for sick and raise him up, they both allude to spiritual sickness and so when he says that prayer will spiritually restore him lift him up he's talking about spiritual restoration of of weak defeated believers who are struggling and through the prayers of godly men god will restore because i love the way the greek uh, for this raise him up uh, is more about arousing and giving life it's more about invigorating their spiritual walk again. And he says, you know, when he uh, talks about 
in verses 15 to 16, confess if sin is involved in their spiritual struggle. They're there to confess. Again, that's giving us the idea that he's talking about spiritual sickness. They're forgiven already because of the cross, but confession restores our fellowship with God and our intimacy with him, and it restores that spiritual vitality that he's just talking about. So when he says, confess your sins to one another, does that mean that you tell the whole church your sin? Or your Bible study group? Who, what does he mean? Confess your sins to one another. He doesn't mean tell everybody. Confess to God and to those who are directly or indirectly impacted by your sin. Um, if I've sinned against, let's say I've sinned against Lana, but nobody, I haven't sinned against Barbara. I don't need to go to Barbara and say, hey, I've sinned against Lana. I need to go to Lana. So you, you go to the, the person or the group, or if it's a church that you've sinned against, you go there and confess to restore the relationship with both God and the person or the people that you have, have uh, sinned against. And then James reminds them in the last part of verse 16 of the power of prayer when he talks about the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Don't forget the importance of prayer. We might think, well, what good does it do me to pray if God's going to do his will? And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But um, he gave the example of Elijah in the Old Testament. Elijah was just an ordinary person. He wasn't perfect. Yes, he was a prophet, but he wasn't perfect. And God used his prayers to accomplish his purpose. He prayed no rain, no rain. Rain, the rain came. God can use our prayers. Our prayers are powerful and accomplish much. However, that doesn't mean that God is going to answer our prayers the way that we want them, want them to. We have to pray according to his will. We, I've said this when we went through on bended knee. We cannot change God's will by our prayers. Because if we could, we're sovereign. Hey, I can control God. If I just pray hard enough, I can change his whole plan. That's not, we, that's not true. But our prayers can help bring about God's plan. As we pray, we can help bring that about. I want to be part of God's work. And pray and prayer is the way that we can do that. So don't stop praying. But pray for God's will. So we overcome the obstacles of impatience and prayerlessness by waiting patiently on God and praying faithfully to God. And then I just want to close with his final exhortation. Um, he didn't end with a benediction like Paul usually did. He, he gave them, in verses 19 to 20, a final exhortation. And it's basically to turn a sinner 
back to God, to point people to Jesus. And there is no greater mission that we can be involved in in our lives than to point people to Jesus. Now, there's different opinions about who he's talking to here. Is he talking about believers that have strayed? Or is he talking about non-believers? And at first, I, I really thought, when I wrote the study, I thought he was talking to believers. But the more I've done the study in preparation for the lecture, I realized it was probably both. That there may have been believers or non-believers in the church that had professed, yeah, I believe, but they weren't really believers. Regardless, the point he's saying here is if you see somebody that is straying from the Lord, and it may be a non-believer, it may be somebody in the church, go to that person in love, in gentleness, and just say, you know, I'd love to, to just sit down and chat. I've noticed some things. That, can you, can, how can I help you? How can I pray for you? What can I do? But let's be committed to pointing people to Jesus. You know, I, I am so thankful that Bonnie D. Armand came to me as a junior in LSU and said, Cricket, you are not walking in a way that's pleasing the Lord. And I knew it. And I said, I know it, but I don't know what to do. Maybe somebody's just waiting for you to say, you know, you're not walking with the Lord. And they're just waiting for that so they can say, help me. Because I, I was just waiting for somebody to come. Let's point people to Jesus. His message in this letter is stand firm. We don't know what's coming. We don't know what storms are ahead. But I am praying like the seagull, uh, the picture that Noel Holler, do we have that one? Our picture that Noel Holler painted for me, because I love, when I go to the beach, I love watching the seagulls. Just that we would, the storms may be on the horizon, ready to blow us over, but that we're standing there like those seagulls, feet planted. Now, I know some are kind of looking off and not paying attention. Don't do that. <laughs> you be the seagull that has their feet planted and going... I am not going anywhere. I am standing firm. And that is my prayer for every one of you in this room. Do not let the winds take you down. Let's pray. Father, I, I've been convicted every day, every week in this study. But Lord, I pray that we would see our lives changed as we apply the words of James. And Lord, I don't know. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what storms are on the horizon. But God, you do. Help us trust you. Help us overcome all these obstacles that we've talked about. Help us stand firm in our faith, Lord. Help us Always look to you and help us bring others to you. 
And we give all this to you, Lord. We give you our lives and ask that you would use us and grow us. Give us a deeper dependence on you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.